and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a show that is dedicated to three goals. Goal number one, help you discover your purpose as you live life according to Jesus's way. Two, providing clarity on why the world is the way it is. And three, building confidence that you are living out and sharing the best way to be human on earth with your friends and family. Pastor Doug has spent his whole life researching and engaging the world to help followers of Jesus better understand that world around them and to better communicate the hope of Jesus to those people in it. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host. And without further ado, please welcome the salty pastor himself, Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. It's good to have you. I'm glad you're joining us today. And the salty pastor was created, as Jesse says, for you, the listener, it's for you, and you mean our it's goal, not just us hanging no, out. It, is, it has nothing to do with us. <laughs> if it was about us, Jesse, we would have crashed and burned a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> very true. It's it's for the listener. It's all about helping you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, as I like to say often, what you believe is one of the most important things about you. So I want you to know uh, what you believe that you can clarify it. And this is where life becomes into focus. And that's why I like this series. I really like it a lot. So uh, anyway, long and short of it, that's why we're here. And I'm glad you're joining us. Agreed. This week is the first week in our new six-part series on the book of First John. Um, this was a letter written by the apostle John to the church in the second half of the first century. There was a lot of different numbers in there correlated. <laughs> but yeah. Second half of the first century, John's writing this letter, and um, it's a definitive uh, refutation of yeah. Gnosticism, yeah. right? Yep, refutation. Refutation. Yep. And uh, Dr. Salty, as we could maybe, <laughs> maybe we could start that, Dr. Salty. He's Dr. Uh, Salty. Give us a definition of Gnosticism in order to catch everyone up. Well, uh, yeah, Gnosticism is a philosophy that helped you look at life in a certain way. Uh, everybody, this is what's really interesting. The truth of the matter is everybody has a philosophy. Everybody has one. Even if they haven't taken a philosophy class. Correct, yeah. Most people haven't taken a philosophy course. Praise God for that, huh? I know, I was like, it might actually, you might have a better grasp <laughs> on philosophy. And then, and then you come up with a philosophy of life, you know, and that's how you look at life. And basically what that means is I have a way of thinking and that's how I process and make decisions. Well, Gnosticism tried to answer some questions that these people had, and it was a way of thinking. Not so much what you thought, but a way of thinking. And in the past, uh, we've talked in this podcast about like postmodernism and deconstructionism and how these ideologies are more about a way of thinking. And the reason why so many people in America, like millennials and so forth, struggle is because they've been taught a way of thinking that doesn't allow them to bring any uh, consistency uh, in their own life because uh, we'll talk about this later. They, they believe contradictory things. And when you believe contradictory things, then what happens is that creates a uh, cognitive dissonance or emotional insecurity. Anxiety goes up. You're incapable because you feel uh, when you believe things that contradict you feel disempowered. You feel like there's nothing I can do about it, right. you know, uh, without realizing it. And Gnosticism was that way. It found its roots in Socratic idealism, which uh, Socrates lived about 
350 to 400 years before Jesus was born. So four centuries of this really ingrained into the Roman way of thinking. And basically at its core, Socrates was trying to answer a question. And that is, is that, well, we accept the, the premise that everything spiritual is good. There's a, there has to be a perfect ideal out there. And we're going to call that the spiritual realm. And then we also accept the fact that the world and we live in is filled with evil. It's corrupted. Okay. So how is it that that ideal can exist? And then this corruption can exist at the same time. And how is it that what's up there is perfect and what's down here is a shadow or a corrupted version of perfection? And so he tried to bring them together, and we can dig into that more, but you really don't need to understand that. You just need to understand that they were trying to resolve this question of how do you have a perfect, unknowable God or gods, and how do you have a corrupted and imperfect world? So, I mean, we kind of see that in a lot of what my generation, I think our, my generation, I mean, obviously I'm part of it, so it's an easier reference for me, Sure. but I think just in general, our generation's referenced a lot as kind of the one that's having the most issues because Mm -hmm. we're, we're hitting a point in our lives where we're turning into mostly adults. I don't know. I sometimes I'm adulting at this point in my life. Um, and so we're starting to see some of these major issues in these adults. It's yeah. like beforehand, you could kind of just pass it off as, oh, they're just college kids or they're just teenagers. They're just kind of, yeah. they're figuring things out. But we're adulting now and, yeah. you know, we're having issues. And I mean, you see that in a lot of ways. Like I see kids that were raised in the church, they go off to college and then they get pumped through education, all these different things that, and I mean, education should have you thinking kind of thinking that is not i'm not saying they should just hear the same thing every day sure but some of them lose their way because they're being told all of these things that are supposedly true but then in their heart they're feeling well i grew up in the church and now i'm feeling more alone because mm-hmm. i'm i'm being told that what i believed was wrong and i'm i'm dumb for believing that and, right and there's all this quote-unquote evidence that mm-hmm. says that you're wrong yeah but then it also doesn't, the evidence doesn't really make sense either. And so it's like, okay, well, what I thought was right wasn't right. What they're telling me is right doesn't feel right. And so now I'm just stuck Mm -hmm. in the middle of, with no answers. Incapable of bringing it together in a unified whole. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what does the, it just feels senseless, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, so what does the letter that the Apostle John wrote have to say about what's happening in our world today? Because I'm assuming we wouldn't be studying it if it didn't have some relevance, right? Yeah, well, that's a really uh, salient point that you point out is that people are uh, receiving information and they don't know what to do with it. They can't bring it together in a unified whole. And that's because they've been trained from very early on, it starts, you know, when you're watching cartoons at two years old is when it starts. Right. And you live in this culture and society and it trains you to think in a certain way. So then when you're hit with certain data points, you know, or ideas or concepts, you're incapable of seeing how they fit and you're incapable of making judgments on them. You see, people in your age group, in my age group too, prior to that, uh, Gen X and even baby boom. It started with the baby boom generation, tried to the end of it. And then Gen X really took off. And then millennials are the personification of it. And it's this notion that 
to we make... got to be good at something, so might as well be yeah, being confused. Yeah, be, be confused. This is your generational moniker. We're confused. You know, what was that movie that launched uh, Matthew McConaughey's career, Dazed and Confused? Yes, Dazed and Confused. That's it. That's their motto, you yep. know, Dazed and Confused. But basically, it's this notion that, that uh, I am not able to make judgments on truths. Right. One truth is not better than another. A culture is not better than another culture. An ethnicity is not better than another an ethnicity, you know. And so what, what they didn't realize is that uh, the notion that we should treat all people equally became into a deconstructionism, which all claims, all propositions, all principles, all truths are equally valid and equally wrong. So there, there is no, so you think there is no truth right. out there. Everybody's right, but also everybody's wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which and that's, is also already confusing. <laughs> and so that, and of course that was in essence Gnosticism from the first century. And that's my contention is that today our society is completely Gnostic. Now we don't call it Gnosticism at all. We don't call it that. It goes by other names. Being woke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's 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 actually deeper than that. Wokeness comes from this uh, deconstructionist attitude, but because uh, wokeness is more uh, neo-Marxism, right. you know. Then, but what it is is this notion that there is no uh, absolute truth. Uh, your truth that is discovered internally. So it, it doesn't need to be run through any type of filter of objective reality. It's whatever you believe to be the case. It's your narrative, and your narrative is so important. And your story is the ultimate truth. Um, what happens is, and by the way, I love story, and story is really powerful. But I don't, you don't worship story. And the whole point of story is what makes a story great. What makes a really story great is when there is some objective thing that the character has to wrestle with and work through. And what has happened is uh, Gnostic thought today that is perpetuated in our culture has robbed people, particularly millennials, of any way of thinking that allows them to wrestle with something objective out side of themselves. So this philosophy of this world in first century um, uh, biblical times is exactly the same building blocks as the philosophy today. Well, and on Tuesday, we kind of learned that there was a group um, when you had kind of set yes. up why John was writing this letter mm -hmm. um, that, the, that had split off from the church and was trying to recruit people um, to this philosophy. Mm -hmm. They were Gnostics. Yeah. Um, I mean, we kind of see that today. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that we see it a ton in the church. We do in some ways, you mm -hmm. know, my philosophy on how church should be and what you should do means you should come to my church because my yeah. church is better. Like we see some of that, but I think we see a lot of it in just overall arching thought of how you should participate in the culture of life these yeah. days is, well, if you're going to be out in the world, then you need to not tell anybody that they're wrong. Right, right. Because their truth is their truth and they're right, but also that means you're wrong, except for unless it's your truth, in which case yeah. they have to tell you it's right. We it can start, go around. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting really on a I'm very confused. Yeah. So. <laughs> you are dazed um, and confused. But, I mean, 
that's kind of the thing that yeah. is kind of stuck out on me. I mean, I think there is some of that in church. Like, there's different philosophies on how church should operate, but I think it's just kind of the social contract of how we're supposed to now interact with each other has gotten so out of whack as yeah. far as what the expectation is that it's really hard to understand what's okay, not okay, and how to be in the world. So I guess what principle in chapter one do you think most clearly applies to our culture today? Well, at its core, this is, now this sounds abstract, and so I want everybody to track with me, but it is absolutely and unequivocally the truth. And that is the first century Gnostics had gone out from the church and the biggest thing that we see in chapter one is how John immediately addresses their primary issue. And their primary thing is we have a definition of what it means to be a human being that is in direct conflict with how Jesus defined human beings. You see, Jesus defined human beings this way. You're created in the image of God. So your hopes, your aspirations, your, your capacity to be kind or generous, your capacity to be honorable and courageous, your capacity to be sacrificial. This is the most unique things about human beings, and this is one of the, the biggest uh, arguments, philosophical arguments against scientific materialism or the fact, you know, secular humanism or atheism and that right. kind of stuff is this, is that there's nothing evolutionary that you could even remotely connect to the notion of altruism. Why would I ever want to do anything altruistically that would help a stranger that I don't know? You know, why would I, why would I ever jump on a grenade for somebody yeah. else? Yeah. Because to save I'm, innocent people that I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. This altruistic behavior is antithetical to scientific materialism and the evolutionary development of morality because it's always survival of the fittest. You know, theoretically, if someone throws a grenade into a crowded room and you're a scientific materialist, you go, oh yeah, there's fewer people to compete with now. Right. You're you know? shoving people towards yeah. it too. And you see this come out in the environmental movement. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the environmental movement since the 40s, there's always been this notion of there's too many people on the earth and we have to have population control. This sounds like Avengers. Yeah. It's just, yeah, <laughs> Thanos all over again. You know, it's just so hilarious. And uh, on a side note, it's so funny that so many of the actors that play these roles, you know, tend to be think this way in real life. And not realizing that you're actually Thanos, you know, you think that way. But, but back to this is the definition of a human being is, by these Gnostics is a similar to the definition today. Okay. So Jesus said, look, your capacity to be altruistic, your capacity to dream and your hope and love and, and community and legacy and all these things that make human beings awesome, right? Right. To make the world a better place, to be better humans, this capacity to actually think that you could become a better human, all comes from the fact that you're created in the image of God, you know? Mm. And you have a problem, though. You invited sin into the world. You gave the authority of leading the world over to Satan when you invited him in. And so sin has now tainted you. So until you deal with the sin, until the deal with the taint the cancer of your soul you'll never become this authentic human being that you were meant to begin someone who's at peace with god you're at peace with yourself you're at peace with the world around you and you see the mission and purpose of your life to help the world this material world come back into alignment with god 
and be at peace and healed and whole again. That's kind of what Jesus defines you. And he goes, that's why I came to die. Because guess what? You can't get rid of your own cancer. Never going to happen. I have no to do self it for operation. You. Yeah. There's no way to operate on yourself. You can't chemo yourself. I am the chemo for sin. I can wipe it out. And I, he did it on the cross. Now, Gnostics, on the other hand, said, well, material world is evil, right? And so it's by its nature, it's corrupt. It can't ever be redeemed. It can't ever be healed. Consequently, uh, no matter what, everything material is corrupted. And so based on that, there's there are two different kind of uh emphases or focuses of Gnostics. One was, well, since you can't redeem it or do anything, then guess what? Just go do whatever you want, you know? Mm. And it usually developed a lot of these groups into just sexual perversion, you know? Right. Um, The other side of it was to be a stoic and just to deny anything, you know? So you kind of become Spock and you have no emotions and stuff like that. Now, today we have the same type of situation in that in that it comes out of two philosophical positions that are at war today. And the first one is from Rousseau, a French philosopher, and he believed that human beings are pure and good and it's society that corrupts them. Okay. okay? So today you see this all across the board particularly in progressive ideology, and that is if we can create a perfect society, right? And everybody else will then fall every, in line. Every, all of these problems will be solved, you know? Right. Because the only reason a, a person does something wrong or bad is because society trained them to do that, right. okay? Well, of course, most people look at that and go, yeah, you've obviously never raised kids, you know? Um, and so... So there's the other side, which is Hobbes, who was a philosopher. And his point was basically that human beings are both evil and good. It exists within you, your capacity to be good. Society civilizes you. So instead of society being the problem that always it, you know, causes corruption, society it can't be it's perfect. It's the solution. Yeah. Well, it, it's that society can't be perfect because it's made up of people who are both. Okay. So you can set up a societal structure, right? And a societal structure, like, uh, let's, say, let's use the, during the feudal system, you know, throughout mm. Western Europe and all the medieval times from probably the 10th century all the way up to about the 15th, 16th century. What did you have is you had a monarchies, right? And so everybody lived and died on whether the king was a good person or a bad person. Right. And if they were bad, and sometimes kings could be really, 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 really good and then do something really bad, you know, depending upon where they were in their reign. So you even see this in the Old Testament. Solomon started off really, really good. He was good, 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 good. And then towards the end of his life, he kind of went bad, bad, bad. So the point being is that you have these two disparate definitions today of what it means to be a human being. And these two options uh, are why young people today have such struggles in trying to find any peace with themselves and who they are as people because they believe things that contradict each other. They, they can either believe what God says or what the world says. How does the world define you and describe you or how does God define you? You have to pick one or the other. You can't do both. Right. So, I mean... 
we kind of see this in in values of millennials or just in the culture as mm-hmm. right now. Um, the Rousseau kind of thing where it's, you know, humans are innately good and pure. It's society that's the issue. We kind of see that in like um, these calls to action against the patriarchy or uh, yeah. against the um, system, uh, systemic uh, like racism, racism things like that, where, it's, like that, where yeah. it's the society's making, you know, our lives hard and it's the thing that's making mm-hmm. us do these things. And why do they say that? Because they don't base it like... Like when they say the patriarchy, okay, they they never quote a specific case or a specific law or even all this they do it's is they look at outcomes. Up. Right. They look at outcomes and they go, oh, 50% of the women out there are, uh, uh, there's over 50% of the population are women. So 50% of all of the CEOs should be women or right. 50% of all the politicians should be. And because it's they're not, then there is a systemic problem. Right. And well, the pro the difficulty with that is that that's not, that denies the human propensity to have free will and make their own choices because the issue with the patriarchy is, is why is it? Well, there's, we should have the same amount of women on, you know, boards and CEOs, but they never make the argument that we should have the same amount of bricklayers. We should have the same amount of female garbage truck People. drivers yeah. and so we're we going to force women to go do all these things they don't want to do so that we can have an equal outcome right. equity it just doesn't make sense well and then on the Hobbes side of things where yeah. human beings are both good and evil and society kind of civilizes them mm-hmm. um we kind of see that in the arguments of um things like uh it's like the the socialism kind of stuff where it's yeah. like we're gonna we're just going to give everyone equal amount and we're going to help everybody and try to get them to this place where they should be able to quote unquote function because they are at a, we're giving them the ability to be a good person now, right? Like that's the civilization they're trying to say, well, people only do these things because they're not being given enough government assistance or, you know, uh, the world's not fair. So they need to help up and we're not against helping people who need help up. But the society's looking at it as, well, if we make everybody equal and we get them to a point where, well, everybody has the same amount of money and we take all the money from yeah. the super rich people and we bring the people that are really poor up and everybody's at a median yeah. level, then all the good and bad will kind of balance out and because yeah. everybody's at the same playing level. Is that is that well, something? Yeah, I would call that more Rousseauian and because the, the difficulty with that is is that if your definition that everybody's exactly the same right everybody's the same like women then yeah everybody's exactly the same so if everybody had the same re exact same resources and the exact same uh playing field then everybody would have the exact same what uh success but the difficulty with that ideology is that that reinforces a definition of humanity that is antithetical and that is, is that to what God says, God says is that we're all different. You know, we are all different because we're created in his image. We are sovereign individuals. Right. And so our lives are all going to be uh, the same. And that's why verses eight and 10 are so powerful, important, because your definition of what it means to be a human being, or in other words, your definition of what it means to be you, 
So who you are, you say, I have a definition of who I am, will determine what you believe you need to be an authentic self. You see, and this is why I don't like the Rousseauian idea or the Gnostic idea, because when you look at everybody else, your thought is, is that, well, I'm the same as everybody else. So then what you do is you say, well, if I had what that person had, then I would be like them. Or if I had what that person had, I would be like them. Well, all that does is enhance envy. Right. It's all based on envy. Instead of, of saying, well, I'm a unique individual. I have been dealt a unique you know, set of cards in this life. What do I need for me uniquely to be my authentic self? And this is where verse 8 is so powerful because it says, if we say that we do not sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Now you see the first option is, well, we're all the same. And if I had the same opportunity or in the same resources, I would be like that person, right? What you're basically saying is that I have no responsibility to deal with myself as to why I am not at that level. Mm. You know, like, like for instance, uh, here, there's an old story about a concert pianist, you know, and he did a concert and this guy was phenomenal pianist. And this gal, after the concert came up to get his autograph and she goes, Oh, I wish I could play the piano like you. And he says, no, you don't. And she was taken aback and goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, I practice the piano nine hours every day. I play the piano nine hours every day. And he said, if you play practiced the piano nine hours every day for the last 20 years of your life, you would play similar to me. And so, okay, see, that's the point is, is that, oh, this person is wired in a way where they're perfectly happy sitting in a room for nine hours plucking away at a keyboard. Right. Are you wired that way? No. I'm, I'm definitely not wired well, that I way. Well, I mean, I guess not a piano <laughs> keyboard. I spend nine hours plucking away at a computer keyboard. That's but. True. <laughs> but you see, see what, what Gnosticism does and what the modern-day definition of humanity does is it actually degrades us. It devalues us. It devalues the unique and wonderful way in which God created Jesse or the salty pastor or... The, every person listening. And uh, what modern day definition of humanity does is it devalues your, your actual engagement and interaction with your own life. So this is why in verse 9, uh, John basically gives the answer to the definition that Jesus has for humanity. Look, you know what's wrong is that you have in your nature sin. And verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So what he's basically doing is he's saying, look, this is who you, this is your nature, okay? And this is how you resolve your own nature to become your authentic self. In today's world, outside of Jesus, the Rousseauian idea of humanity is what reigns supreme. So if you know, you, you need to change everything out there in order for you to become your authentic self. For case in point, uh, if you're out and you think sexual activity will make you happy and you're a young woman and you get pregnant and, well, I'm going to eliminate this child because I'm not ready and I don't want it. You see, I, I can, anything outside of me I can change. 
And instead of, and the sad part about that, and this is what I think the, the uh, prevalence of abortion has done uh, to, to women, is that because of it, and that's the focus, women who go through that and do it, they never ask themselves, why is it that I'm using sex to try to find intimacy and, f- and quench the thirst of my soul? Right. You see? Um, and so it, it, that's just one option. You know, sexually it goes this way. You know, uh, uh, once, once you start departing from the real definition of humanity, you'll, you're going to look around at your world and there are no moral constraints. There are no moral constraints. One of the biggest things that happened in 2016 is when the Supreme Court said, hey, same-sex marriage is now legal. It's the law of the land. And the arguments leading up to this, most people have forgotten, were all about, well, this is just for people who are two consenting adults and want to do their own thing. This has no impact on anything else. No impact on anything else. And the people who were on the other side saying, well, once you change it, Katie, bar the door because everything. And they said, no, you're so prude. You're so terrible. Well, now it is five years later, right? Mm. Five years later. In Connecticut, a man is suing Connecticut because he wants to marry his daughter. They're applying for a license to be married because they're two consenting adults. So he wants to have an incestuous marriage. And he's saying it's our right. And the court is like, uh, well, based on the Supreme Court's decision and how they wrote it, we really can't say no. Right. You know, there's uh, polyamory, the whole notion of polygamy, you know, people having uh, multiple marriages. I mean, not multiple marriages, but married to multiple people at once. And so what's happening now is uh, what a lot of people are not even aware of is that there's a number of uh, people lobbying in various states to make sex with children legal because if a child can determine their own gender, right. Mm. And we have to support that. And that's big in the transgendered movement. We also have to support a child who wants to have sex with an adult. You can't say no to that either. And so they're trying to get legislation to lower the age of consent to the point of where transgenderism can be uh, claimed. So there's people now who are saying that their child was transgendered at the age of two or three. And so they want sexual consent laws then ultimately to mirror that. And so the point being is that this is, this is where our Gnostic culture is going. And it's, it's, it is already off the rails and it's going to continue to go off the rails. And the only way I think that you can counter that is you can realize at its core, what's happening here is that modern day Gnosticism is the cause of the senselessness of life. This is where it all comes from. The, the, if you don't like the cavalier or uh, the attitude towards life, if you don't like the lack of respect for life, if uh, you don't like the way people are treated in this world, you must know that it is Gnostic thinking that drives all of this disrespect for life. And everything in our media culture is trying to train people to think in a way that is Gnostic in nature. And so then when they're hit with facts, they are incapable of reasoning to a point where they can say, I understand the true reality in which I live, and this is what I need to become my authentic self. I need to be redeemed and healed by God so that taint on me is 
resolved and fixed, then I can now see the world through eyes that are alive. I've been brought back to life and I can see the true reality. You know, it's interesting on another note, Kim and I have been involved in uh, human trafficking issues for the last 20 years. Uh, we like to call ourselves modern day abolitionists. Uh, we have a nonprofit called IC Justice to help fight human trafficking. It's an advocacy group just here in Idaho. It's a nonprofit group. And then we're also part of International Justice Mission. You know, we've gone to a lot of their prayer ga- gatherings over the years and we've worked with them really, really closely. And they're trying to stop human trafficking. And you know what's really interesting is what a lot of people don't know. There are more people being trafficked today as slaves than there were during the height of the slave trade in the 1800s. Gosh. Yeah, it's bigger now than it has ever been. Most people don't know about it. You know, most people aren't aware. It's predominantly women and children. And so, and it's really, really prevalent in the Muslim or Islamic uh, nations in North Africa, where uh, a lot of uh, white children and white girls from formerly Eastern Bloc countries uh, are taken uh, are purchased and then they are taken down and they're sold in open slave markets. But you don't know this. And the reason why, because in Gnostic thinking, you're not allowed to say that one religion is not as valid as another, right? Because you're not allowed to make any judgments. You see, you're not allowed to say a culture is better or worse than another. But what happens is this is how you end up with more slavery happening today than in the 1800s. And it's all because of Gnostic thinking. Gnosticism is the basis for the racial divide in our own country. Gnostic thinking is the basis for our political divisions in our own country. Gnosticism is the basis for Antifa that is running around and burning down Portland and other cities in the Pacific North west gnosticism is the basis for the selfish narcissistic drive of the human soul gnostic thinking is the source of our desire to tear down america and rebuild it into a socialist or communist utopia all of these things come from the philosophical position of gnosticism well, that is some intense thoughts to kind of end our session on. Um, there are some really great cat memes online. I think that maybe you, but I mean, in all seriousness, um, that's why we listen to the Salty Pastor, right? It's, you're not going to fluff it up and say, hey, the world's all fine. We're, mm-hmm. we're okay. Everything's going to be okay. But instead, we're going to give you the truth and let you make a decision on what you're going to do with that information. Um because again, we're here to equip you, not to tell you what to think, but give you information so that you can make your own choices and think for yourself and then start having conversations with people around you yeah. where you can unpack that and really sharpen your faith and what you believe by having those conversations. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you, take this information and have conversations in a coffee shop, on social media, um, by sharing this episode, or um, just with friends and family around the table, talk about what resonates with you about these things and where you're seeing stuff like this pop up um, and whether you think that's where things are going and how you can work towards making change in your family and then you can start working outwards right you've talked about change really starts internally with you and then you move to your family don't don't try to change the society and then move in towards your family you got to start in and out right yes if i may quote the uh michael jackson 
You must start with the man in the mirror. The man in the mirror. Man <laughs> and or woman in the mirror. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate you um, joining us here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Obviously, we encourage you to tune in on Sunday for the first sermon in the series. And we look forward to joining with you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church in beautiful Boise, Idaho. All right. Blessings. <laughs>